Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to today's Yield Street Athena Art Finance webinar. First, please be sure to visit YieldStreet.com to learn more about our offerings and to sign up and receive the latest updates if you have interest. And second, uh, the last 10 minutes of today's webinar, we will be answering questions, receiving questions. Thank you so much for taking the time to join today uh, for today's discussion on what we're calling, if you like it, buy it. A discussion about the current state of the art market, the resilience of art fairs, and how the gallery sector is surviving, and in some cases thriving in this environment. So the structure of today's discussion is really intended to be candid and conversational. So I encourage you to drop questions into the Q&A box. I'll do my very best to make sure that the questions are answered. Uh, if we do miss anything, please know that we will follow up with you by email shortly after the webinar. So in case that we have not met before, I'm Noah Kupferman, the Director of Business Development here at Athena Art Finance at Yield Street. And it's my pleasure to host this webinar and have this discussion today with Tony Carmen, the President and Director of Expo Chicago, one of the preeminent art fairs of contemporary and modern art over many years, and which actually just concluded over the weekend, the 2021 edition in virtual format which uh, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what Tony has to say about that and give us, give us sort of a rundown. But I want to give you sort of a little bit of context about our discussion this morning. So after the past several webinars, over these past several webinars, we focused mainly on the public auction side of the market, primarily the developments of the large auction houses, Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips. But the public side of the market is really only half of the story. The other half, of course, is the private sale side of the market, specifically art fairs and the galleries that participate in them. And that's what we're focused on mainly today. Of course, the backdrop to everything that has transpired over this past year has been COVID-19 related. And in the wake of COVID, the art market, just like pretty much any other market in the world, has struggled. The 2020 global sales of art and antiques were down more than 22%. Auction sales down 30%, gallery sales down 20%, and of the 365 art fairs that were scheduled to take place in 2020, more than 60% were just flat out canceled due to COVID. So it's no exaggeration to say that really over the last 20 years, art fairs have become a central part of the gallery sector business model 
providing not only a venue for growing a uh, growing share of sales, but also a vital, vital, crucial point of outreach for new and existing collectors. And so as the world has gone digital through this pandemic, many art businesses have had to as well. And many, many, many art businesses have partnered with external platforms, such as Artsy. By way of example, in 2020, Artsy provided the digital platform for 70 art fairs. And an interesting data that was made public by Artsy, 90% of online inquiries that were made at art fairs were on artworks disclosed with openly disclosed pricing, underlining the importance and the demand for price transparency in our market. And so looking ahead, as we finally head out of the pandemic, fingers crossed, we can expect to see a significant surge in post-lockdown art business activity, likely followed by a bit of leveling off to something akin to perhaps a new normal. But the innovations that have been developed during the pandemic, live stream sales, a rolling battery of online offering, market collaboration, and growing market transparency are likely here to stay. And so, Tony Carmen, welcome to The Yield. <laughs> so, Expo Chicago um, just wrapped up its ninth edition on Sunday, mounting what was a virtual online viewing room fair. We'd love to hear about how, from your perspective, everything, everything went down. You know, if I can begin with saying that it went well, that's in the context of the many challenges that we've faced over the last year, having to adjust to a, uh, a new reality, having to go through two postponements. For you, we've had a great relationship with Athena Art Finance uh, for the last several years. Very proud of that relationship and grateful for the investments that you've made with us. When the uh, pandemic began, we very quickly had to adjust, as everyone has had to. We were just beginning our application cycle in a selection committee when we postponed what was our September 2020 fair to April of 21, and then began to assess all of the internal um, programming that we had in place. And we, like the galleries, were open and look to embracing the digital format. Um, I would venture to say, just like the gallery sector, we did not have a plan for an online viewing room, the acronym OVR. We did not think that we were going to be doing that. Uh, and it was nice that we developed a partnership with an independent provider that allowed us to have that in our pocket to launch what was our first endeavor back in September of 2020 called Exhibition Weekend. This recent edition was much more full. It worked with galleries, you know, a broader selection of galleries. Back in September, our online was strictly Chicago galleries present and programming to the world. This was open to a broader constituency of exhibitors that work with us. And so, you know, this last online edition taught us a whole nother level of lessons. And I think that you and I both know, um, both in past conversations and current, the art world had to embrace the digital format very quickly and lessons are still to be learned. And so did collectors have to adjust to what it meant or what it means to look at artwork digitally. Mm -hmm. But these additions have proved 
to be a wonderful way to keep those connections going. And, you know, sales were made. We had many several hundred thousands of page views. We're still getting the number of the metrics in as it relates to other metrics that we would never have calculated in a, in a regular art fair. So it's forced our company to think a little bit more strategically on how we use a, a digital platform. And I know this was a long-winded answer to a first question. It also allows us to be innovative and think how we're going to use this platform as a supplement to our in-person experience, which to many of your viewers, they may not know. It actually just so happened that today we announced that our the next in-person Expo Chicago will be April 7 to 10 in 2022. So, but the digital OVR does not stop. We will continue to refine it and use it as a in, in support of our exhibitors, and that's important. So, I'm sorry, it was a long, long first answer. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a that's a, that's a great, not long-winded at all. Very nicely detailed, I would say. And congratulations on on that announcement. I know that um, a lot of thought and and is going in has gone into and in trying to figure out when it's safe to go outside again. I suppose one way to put it. And, and so now, uh, about a year from now, we'll be talking about the same thing. How did the fair go? But we'll be talking about it in a different way because it will have been live. So that's wonderful. Wonderful news. Yeah, fingers crossed. Absolutely. I must, I must do that. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, one thing that's, that's interesting is to think about in, in, in the wake of, of COVID and now that with your announcement going live in, the, in, in a year's time, you know, over the past number of years with this incredible, you know, one could call it the juggernaut of, of the growth of art fairs, um, is it, it really seemed like the adage was bigger is better and more is better. And, and, and that uh, the proof in there is basically to say that, well, gosh, there were 365 fairs uh, last year, uh, 60%, more than 60% had to be canceled because of the pandemic. But, you know, Freeze has taken an interesting move. Um, they're going live at the shed uh, here in, in, in New York City, um, and it'll be a more intimate affair out of necessity. So I just wonder if that is... Of course, bigger is 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 nice. Uh, more people can go see, but is that necessarily better? And 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 sort of from your perspective, thinking about, you know, how, what's what thinking about the viewing experience, thinking about the fair experience, and you know, fingers crossed, the the pandemic will be a thing of the past, right? So, anyway, if what what, what your thoughts are on that? You know, um, for context, and many have heard me say this in the past, it, just for the sake of context, you know, Chicago hosted an international art fair for 20 years before there was another fair in North and South America. And mm -hmm. so there's a great legacy and tradition of a fair in Chicago. And that tradition at Navy Pier also has allowed us going into our ninth edition to stay within the environs. I mean, we are we are the size of the fantastic hall, 170,000 square foot venue that never allowed us to go bigger anyway. I would venture to say at 130 galleries typically, which is what we were, you know, we were relatively boutique compared to many of the major fairs pre-pandemic. We'll see what we, uh, you know, what we need to adjust to, and what we actually present in April of 2022. We obviously uh, didn't expect to cancel April of 2021, and I was anticipating 
you know, the new floor plan with adjusted areas and not being able to be bigger uh, and embracing that because I think that yeah, bigger is not necessarily better, although there's, you know, there's an important, you know, energy that happens uh, mm -hmm. at, at an art fair. That's what those convening moments are so critical and important. And so, you know, in some instances, you know, it really matters about the, you know, who's participating and, and that moment. Uh, but it's there, you know, obviously the fairs are not going away. And I think the industry is anxious to re-enter cautiously into what is a renewed cycle because you know uh, after all you know galleries and and we can talk about this further you know galleries have not just adjusted to the digital or virtual format they've also adjusted like my business my company adjusted to um, this last year and the impact on staffing costs expenses and so you know i think everyone's anxious to get out when it's safe to get out but I also think there's going to be some caution as it relates to how much can all these, how many fairs can these galleries do, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to put the flag in the sand for April of 2022 to allow the, allow this cycle to reopen again and, and prepare. Great, great, great. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, you, you, you mentioned something um, that, interesting regarding sort of the, uh, the the struggle that that all businesses have had large or small over this past year and and sort of this idea of uh, you know we, we've heard a lot about there's been a lot of analysis and discussion about the PPP loan and and really the positive effects that that has had across industries industry-wide economy-wide is that Something that you've seen with respect to galleries, with, re with respect to art fairs, has that hit the art market as well? Uh, no question. In fact, I'm a perfect example and would want to say um, and justify the importance of what those loans have allowed my company and the galleries. Speaking for myself, having been able to receive, it's been able to maintain the company to prepare us for when we can actually launch. But more importantly, when we launch, we are jobs generator. We're not just the hospitality sector, but just um, the impact on the local cultural community, as well as jobs as it relates to the structural build of a fair, et cetera. So the good news is without those PPP loans, um, we may have, or maybe the bad news would have been, we may not have been able to survive this last year. And I know that that is definitely the same for many of the galleries that I've spoken to, large and small. That loan allowed them to both keep staff like us, but also adjust their expenses over this last year to prepare for what will be the, the reopening. But they're, you know, the interesting thing about galleries, because I've spoken with many of the dealers, the good news is they've been able to operate and have been quite surprised at how well they've been able to operate over these last few months, because they could still communicate to their collectors and they could also, in timed entry, still invite those that wanted to see exhibitions into those spaces. I'm in a little bit different in other fairs in a little different situation where it has to get to phase five and have to, you know, be at a place where, you know, a large number of individuals can convene. But I think galleries have seen successes because they've been able to adjust to this time. Yeah, I know. Thank you. It's interesting. I mean, because uh, on the face of it, I think 
what a lot of people perhaps from the outside looking in or maybe even sometimes from the inside looking out <laughs> um yeah. an eyebrow or two might be raised uh as a suggestion of saying wait a second the art market ppp is this sort of like is there is there a disconnect here because we're talking about many of the galleries selling works of art for quite a bit of money and, and so can you sort of sort of connect that together and see how you know what what's behind that well i mean i think that you know sometimes everyone looks to the large numbers large sales in auctions or large sales at fairs or large sales as the as the norm i think that you I think we all realize that there's a significant amount of transactions taking place at a very small amount or, you know, that is not the multimillion dollar works. And mm -hmm. for galleries and for most of this industry, you know, those smaller amount sales are as important, and, and I know that that can sound absurd, as important as a large sale because it's that continuous transaction. It's connecting to collectors. It's building new collectors. So, you know, for a large part of the gallery community, I think we have to recognize that, you know, the, the sweet spot isn't million plus. The sweet spot might even be 10,000 and less, you know, in some ways. I mean, I think, you know, of course, there's a wide range in there, but for the galleries that um, every transaction, whether it's a $5,000 sale or a million dollar sale has been critical to keeping the machine oiled over this last year. And I think, I think all of us are pleasantly surprised at the fact that the, of the resilience of the art market and the resilience of the exhibitors and the dealers and the collectors to be there for them over this last year. And it is, I, I think that we were anticipating back in April of 2020, listening to a number of articles or a number of, of prognosticators, really fearing that we would see 40, 50% of the galleries going out of business. I think when you when fall 2020 hit, for the most part, I know this is over contextualizing, I think a lot of the galleries probably looked, pinched themselves and said, wait a minute, I we're doing okay. And why? Collectors stayed with them. They were aggressively active in the virtual and digital market. And more importantly, they too adjusted their expenses. They weren't participating in 10 fairs uh, or traveling. And uh, so all of us, and many of your listeners know, all of us have had to make adjustments to what is the sheer output, what is the expenses of our companies. Sure. No, interesting. I'm so pleased that, that you joined us today because in part, because so much of what we have discussed in the past on the yield and just the art market in general does focus on these kind of these evening sale, Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips, kind of tens of multis of millions of dollars kinds of sales. And that's exciting and lovely. But it, it what, what it, it sort of, it, it, it strikes me that so much of the art market actually is almost like you can call it a mom and pop uh, kind of industry, which is so counter, I don't know if it's counterintuitive or, or just counter what many people's perceptions of the art market actually is, right? I mean, I think that using the phrase mom and pop shouldn't sound pejorative. And I know you don't mean it that way. And I yeah. say the same thing, but I think it's important for everyone to recognize that there's, you know, in the grand scheme of corporate, let's call it corporate 
global corporate world, many of these galleries are operating with two or three staff, and the major galleries may only be operating, well, I'm sure there's been adjustments, so I, I don't want to be held accountable to exact numbers, but maybe 200 staff. But when you look at that, you have to recognize that this isn't you know, this isn't Apple or Amazon. So the, the the major anchors, the major market makers of the global art market still are relatively small number of employee size companies, although their transactions could be large. And, you know, this pandemic hit them just like the, you know, a major, major corporation. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's sort of relative up that scale. The hit to that mom and pop small gallery that might have one or two employees and you know hopefully a, a good accountant um is, is is equal to a major anchor you know market making gallery the relative hit was the same right interesting yeah no I, it's interesting you bring up uh, amazon and often I'll, I'll make the comparison people ask about size of the art market and you know depth and breadth of the market and this kind of thing and you know, the, the, the total annual sales last year uh, made in the art market, total annual global sale uh, is not even one third of the net worth of the primary shareholder at Amazon. <laughs> so there, 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 there you go. Um, Thanks for that perspective. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, you, you touched on it a little bit before, but um, I think it's, it's, it's an important issue and, and interesting for, to hear your, your perspective. I mean, if you think back to a year ago, Gosh, you know, a year ago today, a year ago within this time period, you know, many of us were thinking it, it looked like 2008 uh, financial crisis all over again. And there was, and, and not, you know, sort of thinking so dramatically, incorrectly thinking this looks like it's going to be just a really a period of doom and gloom. And so it would it would seem like that didn't play out in the same kind of way. And so I I, I think it's interesting to to sort of hear your perspective a bit more on on well why is that? Every, pretty much everyone was predicting a a an end of the world scenario, and it didn't happen. Thank God. Yes, thank God. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know how you know the crystal ball is still rather murky for the future. But the good news is that, that that crystal ball has proven so far to allow for us to see the resilience of the market. And I said that earlier, but I will say it again. It goes to show how important this, this marketplace is, not just for a transaction for just a piece of artwork, but how important it is as it relates to the broader context and relationships, museums, institutions, nonprofits. And so I think that what we found we found here is there's, um, you know, a continual want and thank God need for individuals to, um, <laughs> you know, want to live with art, be engaged in that social discourse that happens, um, whether they go to an exhibition or museum or an art fair, where they can connect and learn about that work, acquire that work. And I think that what's happened you know, outside of, as you, as you mentioned, the, the global expansion to 365 art fairs, what's happened because of that is that marketplace has grown so large and the interest has grown or the opportunities have grown larger with that, that, you know, where we are today proves that that, that really was the case. 
you know, that it wasn't just, you know, the collectors of yore in the 1980s where you probably, or 70s, when you probably could have, um, you could have, because there's a famous photograph in New York where like a hundred collectors in a room, right? And that's the, that was the collecting. Yeah, user, that's the market, yeah. <laughs> that's the marketplace. We know it's larger and that's been yeah. proven now and supported by the resilience. And, and I think that, you know, as I said, I use the phrase, many of the dealers have pinched themselves. I'm sure they have. So have we, actually, that we have a place where we can announce a, a future fair or a hopeful future fair in April. And I think the dealers, the dealers have found in my conversations with many of the principals um, that the collectors have remained engaged and they actually embrace the digital format and probably bought more artwork through the digital format than they did at even art fairs because they were home and they could explore or they could, they could explore in a, in a different way. What's out there. I, it, mm. An anecdote, mm. you know, I, I had a conversation with a, a collector that um, I was, had a conversation recently about, did you collect off of OBR? And I'll be honest, they said, um, no, they didn't. However, what they did do, is they explored galleries that they had no relationship with. They are now in discussion with several of those galleries to learn more about those artists. And they re-engaged a work of an artist with a gallery, um, being so too sorry, um, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, have to be a gallery in New York. And they inquired about work that they looked at a couple of years ago because they saw it on the online, on, on Expo Chicago online. So. What they did is stayed engaged, and in their case, it may not have been a transaction on the online, but like an art fair, there's a long tail, and the and the and the connection is happening, and they used that time in their own home to go explore. That's the important, and I think that back to the original question, I think that the again broad context galleries have felt incredibly pleased that that discourse could have could have maintained and continued over this last time that we've been locked anyway hope that makes sense right yeah no that, that that's great um and, and re really really interesting and, and, and helpful help, helpful to hear and and i guess we could say well that's time well spent that particular individual uh spent yes. his, his, his or her time but uh, i guess in, in a sense not not to I don't know. Was it Al Gore who said that he invented the internet, or or, or who was it? But um, thanks to him or whoever, a group of people, because it's not for digital. And you know, digital has been both a blessing and a curse. Um, without without digital, that couldn't have happened. I think, right? I mean, really, that's been an incredible savior for the market, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that all of us recognize that seeing a piece of artwork through a PDF or online is definitely not the way to see and experience artwork. Um, mm. But as we have all refined what this discussion can be over the last 10 months, so have the galleries, so have the collectors, so have all of us. And I think that there's a little bit more willingness to allow that connection via a PDF or an image to actually still um, still relate to something, to an acquisition or transaction. And I think some of it has to do with the, the, trust, of, um, the trust of this experience now. However, my however in this is 
all of us want to get back to that experience of going to a museum, going to an art fair, going to a gallery, speaking for this sector, and experience the work in person, because after all, that's the way, that's the way this should be, Mm -hmm. should be happening. And then, you know, I think that the other important thing, and this goes beyond just the art market and art fairs, I think we as humans also just yearn for the serendipity of that experience, going to a gallery and running into somebody, and that somebody conversation translates into information on a new artist. Um, and, and so, actually, I, I was gonna—I will stay on for our marketplace. That is one of the things that we tried to do with Expo Chicago Online and create some through lines through curators or a dealer's choice to try to replicate that the serendipity of an in-person experience. But, you know, there's nothing like yeah. that, that important part of what it means to be human and experiencing a, an event and, and, and the, the, the tell of information that happens at an art fair. And I think that we'll all recognize, not just in the art world, but just in life, what it means to go to a restaurant and run into somebody again. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. There, there, it, it really speaks to what you're saying. I think that there are certain things that digital can do really well, and there are other things that digital cannot do very well. And, and the criticism, it seems to me, part of the criticism that digital has taken on the chin is, is, is basically criticizing it for what it was never intended to do which was connect us in person. And obviously that can't happen through digital, but the things that it can do, um, I just wonder, um, and I think a lot of us are, 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 are wondering, scratching our heads, thinking, so going forward, how now is digital going to be a partner um, in, in our immediate viewing uh, at an art fair or in a gallery? And I guess that's something that, you, that now you need to figure out over the next year because you'll be having an in-person fair. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, it it is it, it it speaks to the broader reach that we can all have. There's no question, and I use this word successful not to spin, but there's no question that the our experience with Expo Chicago online was successful. Um, in many ways, there were many transactions done, and I and and, and I'm pleased for that. Actually, un- unexpectedly pleased for those results. But I also we learned that we were able to speak to a broader audience without being in person. We were able to still program, which we're known for, an extraordinary amount of curatorial programming as well as talks programs and connect with our international global partners. So we were able to stay present. But going into the online, I'm sorry, going into in person, of course, we, were, we want to make sure people come to Chicago, not just stay in their home, but there's always going to be a certain audience that will not be able to travel to a fair. And that's where I think we will find, I hope, a sweet spot to use this tool to be current. So it's not just post-fair, but current during fair in person to supplement it in a way that for those that might not make the effort or Mm. might not be able to to, uh, attend in person, to still have access to work. Because after all, we're yeah. in the service of the art, the, the, the exhibitors. And I, I say that, and I haven't said it yet, but you know, hmm. the most important constituent for me are the exhibitors that have chosen to participate with their checkbook in the right. exposition that we're presenting. So 
Everything that we we do needs to be in absolute service of them and hopefully present um, an exposition that allows them to see the successes that they expect. Now, we can't guarantee they're going to sell out their booth nor see everyone they want to see. And, and I've said this for years. I'm built to want everyone to sell out their booth, <laughs> everyone they right. want to see. Sure. And I would venture to say, even if they did that, I still would find a way to, or find a fault for what we, what services we may have provided. But that's where this digital is going to have to continue to provide them success and be embedded throughout the year to do that. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. That's great. Yeah, no, I look forward to, um, absolutely look forward to uh, coming to Chicago, and, and I will be one of the people there in person. I hear that you, you Chicago folks, feel that you may have a, a good piece of pizza, which, uh, coming from New York, I'm, I'm interested in exploring that. But we don't need to discuss that. I, what I'd like to do is to open it up to a good few talent. questions. <laughs> um, so we have an, uh, a few interesting questions that have come up um, in, in, our, in our chat that I'd like, to, I, I'd like to focus on. Understanding that the final stats are still being gathered, but were there any noticeable sales trends from this year's fair? And what do you think such trends may say about where the market is headed over the next year or more? Oh, it's a good question. If you're speaking about the online fair, if the question was specific to Expo Chicago online, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to plead a little bit of uh, perspective that we still need to gain. It's very interesting how we've learned to start to gauge success in many ways, even in an in-person fair, you know, we're not totally privy to all the transactions that take place. Many transactions happen at an in-person fair months afterwards, you know, so it's not necessarily what is sold at a fair, although at a fair in person, I can actually do old school. I can be in touch with dealers, ask them how they're doing, get a gauge. I sold this. I might have sold this. I've got, you know, we actually sold 10 pieces or, you know, in, in a way, that's the best metrics that it, it, the way I would normally have worked in this new iteration of an online art fair. You know, what we do have a sense of is how many inquiries are made to the galleries. We have a sense of how many sale sold red dots, just like an art fair, are on. But I don't, I'm not privy, just like at a person in-person fair, not privy to what that was sold at, what adjustments they made to price or not. And you know, we are still in in a place where it's still opaque because the inquiry, we may know that there was an inquiry for a work, but we don't know if that transacted. So as much as we have learned that there's more information to be gleaned from online, mm -hmm. it's surprisingly similar to an in-person experience. Now, I also want to add, there is some new information for us, you know, how many page views, how many, mm -hmm. um, what traffic per gallery, what kind of, you know, um, you know those kind of, of metrics, I think will play a role in us shaping advertising outreach. Uh, there may have been a second part of that question. I want to be mindful of that question. Was there something that I missed? Just so um, no, I, I think you you hit it. I mean, what 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 the, what the question is trying to get at is: Are there are there things in the data that that we can you know that that have some sort of um, predictive power of where where we think yeah. this might be going? 
I mean, we still, we still don't, you know, it's not that we have names of those transactions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, after all that, you know, I think it's important for, although all of us want more data, all of us want to refine, you know, what we can capture. It still is a relationship that is, that I think is important between the art dealer or the exhibitor and the, the collector and the transactor. You know, yeah, we may yeah. know who was on the site, but we don't know necessarily, we didn't do commerce through the site. And that's one thing that, and I think that that's really the differentiator. I am sure at some point, the just like we've all embraced digital, that the exhibitors may feel a little bit more comfortable with that transaction. But we didn't go to that place where, you know, we were allowing that transaction. Although, you know, okay. the, the platform that we used, um, a great platform called Hook, you know, obviously they're exploring that. It's a, you know, it's been a yeah. wonderful partnership with them. Um, okay. And, you know, they, like any of the, privately um, labeled OVRs from some of the major fairs. I'm sure everyone's looking at, at ability sure. for incorporating that. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, really, it's, it's sort of touching on this age-old description or some in some ways could be criticism of the art market is this sort of transparency versus opacity kind of struggle. And, and, and digital certainly helps us with, with having a lot more data. Yeah. Now we're trying. Now we have to figure out what to do with the data and and what and what it's telling us, right? Because it, it, we have to make sure we're we're reading it correctly. So we have a, another question that I, I would love to toss your way. Um, that, that, that that's quite interesting. So you alluded to a future blend of in-person and digital sales. How do you think this will impact accessibility of the art market going forward? If accessibility means availability of artwork, I think it will only increase that you know, the there's choices made by any of the dealers on what fairs they're participating in, what locations, marketplace locations they want to try to penetrate, to use a, a, a business phrase. And in this the same goes, I think, with the with the participation in online uh, online. What we found is for many of the galleries participating in Expo Chicago online, it came at a time where it gave them a platform to showcase a work of an artist that they may not have had, you know, that wasn't out there or might have gotten cycled out of an exhibition because of the adjustments to the in-person. And it gave some of the galleries an opportunity to just give a little lift to some new opportunity and an opportunity to present new work. And I think that that's an interesting perspective that could be a supplement to future because after all, an exhibitor for an art fair is making a determination of what they want to show. I mean, there's some exhibitors that will bring the smorgasbord of their program, but you know, what has worked well, I think surely at Expo Chicago are the exhibitors that look at it as an opportunity to present a thoughtful thematic theme, uh, theme presentation, which means they're, they're putting a lot of choice or a lot of risk into one or two artists potentially sure. rather than 22 artists, the supplemental online, I think would allow for both things to happen simultaneously. I think we'll yeah, see sure. where an in-person presentation in an art fair may be supplemented with something uh, additional online. And I think that that's where I'm more interested in finding that how this works simultaneously. Uh, okay, got it. Interesting. That's so interesting seeing how, you know, we're, we're really, we're, we're in the midst of really, um, 
figuring out. It's evolving right before our eyes. And and, uh, and and Tony, you're on the front line, and my friend, you're 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 figuring it out. And and, and it's 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 great. And and I, I thank you so much for for taking the time to chat with us today. I'm honored to have the opportunity. And you know, I think I like you and all, you know, sort of embrace. Although this is maybe a tired phrase, embrace these challenges with huge willingness and to to embrace the opportunities. And I for think sure. that they're you know, we would never have thought to be doing it online 10 years, uh, 10 months ago. And here we are with two of them under our belt in a way that has taught us a great deal. And I think that if that has been um, what I think a hallmark of our company, being nimble, being able to innovate where we can. Um, and I, like many of the listeners uh, on this chat, I'm sure are embracing that same ethos as it relates to their own um, companies or uh, working with businesses because yeah. you know it is what what we did learn is what was is definitely not going to cut it no no onward onward so i'm afraid onward. that we're going to have to leave it there for now tony um and we're just about uh we're out of time and i so much appreciate you taking the time today and so um, many, many thanks to Tony Carmen, Expo, uh, the, the director of Expo Ch Chicago, for taking the time to join us. And thanks to all of you uh, who have logged in, have taken the interest in our market and an interest in these very, very interesting developments. Please be sure to visit yieldstreet.com to learn more about our offerings. Be well, and we hope that you will join us again next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment product. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at yieldstreet.com.